Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham, with the big filibuster news in Washington, D.C. We've gone to the best of the best. Adam White writes on legal and regulatory matters for the Weekly Standard, as well as other publications. He's an attorney in Washington, D.C. Adam, thanks for your time. Thanks for having me. We're happy to have you. So for people who barely understand filibuster and think it's a cooking term, what happened today in the U.S. Senate? Sure. Well, for a long time, there's been a rule in the Senate uh, that oftentimes it takes more than a majority to get work done. It mm-hmm. usually takes, or often it takes, 60 votes. And in recent years, it's taken 60 votes to get judicial nominations through. And the thing is, it usually takes 60 votes to change that rule. Uh, but for years uh, in Washington, folks have talked about a possibility of what they call the nuclear option, which would be the Senate Majority Leader just basically uh, getting a majority vote to change the rules. So scuttling the 60-vote rule for the filibuster, the 60-vote rule for changing the rules, and just basically end all that with a simple majority vote. And after years of, of various senators talking about it and or criticizing it, uh, back in the Bush administration, Democrats uh, criticized this up and down. Uh, today, Senator Reid finally pushed the, uh, pushed the nuclear button and used the nuclear option to end judicial filibusters on uh, – or to end filibusters on – on judicial nominees, other they say, other than the Supreme Court. And this will clear the way for more judicial nominations or judicial confirmations, uh, particularly with, with uh, some of the more high-profile seats in the country, uh, the seats on the D.C. Circuit and other important federal courts. And that's what I was going to ask you is why now? What is the appointment? What, who is the judge that uh, President Obama or Harry Reid are so determined to get on the bench? Well, the focus of attention today was on Patricia Millett. Patricia Millett. She's a, an appellate lawyer here in Washington, a very uh, well-regarded uh, but, but liberal uh, lawyer here in town, a Supreme Court advocate. And she's been nominated to the D.C. Circuit, which is a court here in town, often referred to as the second highest court in the land. They hear a, a disproportionate number of constitutional issues and important regulatory issues. And for whatever reason, I mean, there's a number of judicial nominations out there that have been filibustered. Uh, but for whatever reason, Patricia Millett was the, was the focus of today's attention. And she is, her nominations what gave rise to the nuclear option. And why do senators call it the nuclear option? I mean, in one sense, it's just a rule change. Why the, uh, why, why the uh, over-the-top uh, language? Well, you know, I wanted to actually, today it occurred to me to go back and look up the the origin of the word, I couldn't find it. I mean, it was basically called the nuclear option, I think, because uh, critics of it, when it was originally proposed, uh, thought that it would basically blow up the business of the Senate. Um, the Senate has always been a collegial body. Of course, over the years, rules on, on supermajority rules and, and deliberation and the rights of individual senators to hold up business, uh, those have eroded slowly over time or sometimes quickly over time. Um, but there has always been a few things that have this sort of stalwart rules that have been honored. And I think it was called the nuclear option precisely because folks understood the gravity of the situation. But um, uh, back in the, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that, uh, in other words, it's the nuclear option, not because of the decision, but rather the reaction to it. Uh, do you think that there's going to be a shutdown of business in the Senate? Will all Senate activity come to a halt now, or are Republicans going to kind of choke this down and uh, fight another day? Well, I'm, I'm a lawyer, not a, uh, a political analyst, okay. so I'm probably the last person to ask about how the Senate will <laughs> react. But I will say that even with the filibuster uh, eliminated for these situations, the fact is 
members of both parties and in both branches of government have a lot of tools at their disposal for leverage over one another. And I think the situation will be sort of like when you when you push on one side of the balloon, right. uh, another side pokes out. And I think Republicans will look to other options to uh, to slow down either judicial nominations or to make the uh, the Senate Democrats or the administration uh, pay a cost for uh, for their the rules they've uh, for for their their actions and the change of the rules. I've heard some people describe this as illegal, and I've replied, "Well, wait, it's just a rule in the Senate. Is there a constitutional or legal aspect to this? Particularly the notion that you're changing the rules for how you're going to operate in the middle of the session, as opposed to say waiting for one Congress to end and another to begin." I don't think. And I'm not an expert on Senate procedure. I don't think that it's that it's illegal or unconstitutional per se. In fact, back about a decade ago, a former Senate parliamentarian named Martin Gold and a friend friend of mine named Dimple Gupta wrote a a very good law review article for the Harvard Journal of Law and Public Policy, in which they defended the Senate majority's right to do this. And I thought that argument, that legal argument, was pretty compelling at the time. Uh, but the fact that it might be legal or constitutional doesn't mean that it's it's particularly good or, or prudent. And it also, the fact that it's constitutional doesn't mean that the Democrats who are supporting it today aren't completely hypocritical um, when you look at their uh, their statements when the Bush administration and the Republican Senate majority a decade ago were talking about doing this. Would you have some examples? Oh, sure, sure. Uh, I think my favorite is probably uh, Harry Reid. And you see a lot of these quotes floating around today mm-hmm. um, in the last few weeks. But back in 2005, uh, Senator Reid said that the nuclear option would be, quote, an unconstitutional abuse of power, and that Republicans don't want any check on their quest for absolute power. Uh, Joe Biden, when he was a senator, he said, quote, I pray God when the Democrats take back control, we don't make the kind of naked power grab that you're doing. Well, in his defense, in his defense, Adam, everyone in the Senate today was fully clothed. So (laughs) there was no naked power grab. My favorite is the president saying that this is telling the minority you want them to uh, sit down and keep quiet. And I think that that is, in fact, what's happening here, that this is a clear statement from uh, President Obama and the Democrats in the Senate, that they are going to essentially set the minority aside for the remainder of this term and then pay the whatever political price uh, at the in November of 2014. I think that's probably what they think. I mean, we've seen, of course, what uh, what that kind of hubris tends to uh, earn politicians, and I think they may be surprised in some respects by what Republicans come up with to uh, to pay back. But you're right. I mean, Senator then Senator Obama was more than happy to filibuster judicial nominees. Back then, including nominees to the D.C. Circuit, uh, the, the the court at the center of today's controversy, and I think uh, I think that they expect that today's a big win, and I think a lot of Republicans are thinking that this this is going to open up some opportunities for them. Yeah, I, I will say that when we're watching President Cruz appoint Governor Palin to head the EPA, we will all remember this day. That's my my prediction, Adam. <laughs> I'm not. I was joking. Do I need to say that here for the podcast that I was joking? I don't know that we'll have a t- President Cruz, um, but it is uh, easy to imagine Republicans if, if they should take back the Senate, and it's certainly looking like a poss- strong possibility. Simply saying, you know, we've got a lot of stuff we wanted to get done as well. Get rid of this silly uh, respect the minority rights rules, and all of a sudden you could have all kinds of things on uh, tax policy and on entitlement reform. I think that's exactly right. Now that the nuclear option has been unleashed, I think Republicans will think about compromise as, as 
basically is unilateral disarmament. Today, Senator McConnell, before the vote came, he, he told Democrats that uh, someday Republicans would be in charge of the Senate again, and, and he said that day may come sooner than Democrats would like or, or, or think. And then when that happens, uh, Republicans will be ready to, to use this tool themselves. And I think it'll be interesting not just to see how Democrats react then, but also a uh, number of, of liberal pundits ever since the Republicans took back the Senate, or, or ever since the Republicans had a, uh, a, a critical mass in the Senate to use the filibuster. We've heard time and time again uh, folks like George Packer of the New Yorker and Ezra Klein of the New York Times and E.J.A. Dionne here in Washington talking about how the Senate is broken. Um, they say it over and over again and calling for an end of the filibuster. Well, if, if Senator McConnell ever becomes Majority Leader McConnell, I'll be curious to see whether uh, Ezra Klein and, and George Packer are, uh, are, are cheering him along as, as he imposes majority rule on the, uh, on the Senate. You know, Hillary Clinton asked a question, I'm trying to remember at what point in her Senate career, if you can't get 60 votes for your nominees, what sort of people are you sending over, which points up the value of the 60-vote threshold, that it drives Republicans and Democrats towards the center for these nominations, for these administrative positions that, quite frankly, there's no way that Congress can micromanage them, keep an eye on them. You've got to have people whose values are somewhere in tune with the center of the United States. Do you think we're going to see more and more, for a lack of a better term, fringe nominees, that is, people who really don't represent even close to a majority of the American attitude in the areas where they're working, but, hey, we only need 51 votes and we're going to get them? Yeah, I think that's right. I think there's a pretty big distance between 50 votes and 60 votes. And now that the threshold is down to 50, I think you'll see a number of, of nominees for either administrative agencies or for uh, courts that just wouldn't have had a 60-vote support when it used to be. You know, I think it's, it's, it's too bad. Having, you know, the Republicans were in the majority not too long ago, mm-hmm. and I think they, we all remember uh, how, how excited you can get in terms of getting your uh, – your agenda through when you have power, and at those moments, it's hard to sort of sit back and dispassionately think about about uh, the need for supermajority rules and for for compromise. I took a stab at it a couple of times. I wrote years ago a law review article during the Bush administration talking about how how the Senate wasn't required to give judicial nominees an up and down up or down vote, which is what President Bush and others were saying. And and a few years later, I even wrote for the Weekly Standards website about uh, how John McCain did the right thing. I thought in uh, brokering the Gang of 14 deal at the time, and which, which was done precisely to avoid the nuclear option. Uh, I thought it was good that the Republicans, uh, you know, they gave up a little bit, but they got really good judges. Um, and, you know, the whole, the whole point of the structure of our government is not for the president or the, the House or Senate to have ultimate power, but for each of those parts of government and the states to use their powers and push back and forth against one another. And James Madison summed it up as we should let ambition uh, would counter ambition. Um, but I, we've seen here as each of the branches or more really the parties is more and more eager to go for absolute power and to, to push push down the other branches. Uh, I think we're seeing something uh, a little bit disappointing. Adam White writes on legal and regulatory issues for the Weekly Standard as well as other publications. He's a lawyer in Washington, D.C. He's part of today's Weekly Standard podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.